May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Right, if you have a Bible, then do turn to Habakkuk, um, the book of Habakkuk. It's on page 1029 in the church Bibles. If you've got one there or on your phone or whatever, um, then you can follow along because <coughs> we're going to be looking at it. I don't know if you've ever moved to a brand new area. I've done that quite a few times in my life, and it's quite, a, it's quite an interesting experience because you learn the difference between being a tourist in a place and being a new resident. So as a tourist, you sit back on your open-top bus and you sort of take in all the fascinating details, um, and then you forget about it. Oh, that was a, look at that. Wow. Oh, look at that. Oh, forget about it. Wow. Forget about it. And uh, that's the tourist. But when you move to a new area and someone takes you on a tour, you're really concentrating. Because you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to have to figure out how to get to the dump sooner or later. I'm going to have to figure out how to get to the supermarket. I'm going to have to figure out how to get to the station and so on. So you pay rapt attention. Now, when it comes to the Bible, you are not a tourist, nor am I. We are residents. And so it's no good listening to the preacher like you're one of those tourists sitting on the top deck of the open-top bus and, the tour, and I'm the tour guide with the sort of crackly tannoy telling you about all the different things. No, the Bible is God's book for each one of us and that's why we need to know it and learn to use it ourselves. That is always true with a sermon, with, a, with our Bible reading. But I think it's very important to say with the, the book of Habakkuk, uh, we're studying the, this summer, we're making one-stop visits to some of the minor prophets, as they're known. The minor prophets, they're minor in that their book, they're called minor because their books are shorter than the so-called major prophets. The major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel is included among the major prophets. But the minor prophets are major players. And Habakkuk's three-chapter book is one we really could do with having secure in our hearts and in our minds. It's not an academic exercise. We need to have this book in us. Now Habakkuk is, by the way, if you want some fun later, make sure that your teeth are securely fastened and uh, stand in front of the mirror and go, Habakkuk, 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 Cook, Cook, Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Sing it to the William Tell Overture. And that's, that's got nothing to do with the sermon, but it's quite fun. And uh, you will, uh, you'll discover how difficult it is. So Habakkuk, is not a, is, he's not a preacher, or at least he doesn't preach in his book. He's a prayer. Yeah, he receives a message to pass on to the people. It's in chapter 2. But chapters 1 and 3 are records of his prayers. This book is a book of Habakkuk wrestling with the Lord in his perplexity and his frustration and then finding resolution. All of us have those moments, don't we, when we feel very perplexed, frustrated, that God does not seem to be doing what we think he should be doing. All of us know what that's like. And so let's apply ourselves to God's voice in Habakkuk's book so that we can learn how to handle these moments ourselves. So here's the action plan um, for this morning. First of all, I'm going to give you the basic outline of the book of Habakkuk. This is a bit like moving to Sidcup and being told, right, this is Station Road, this is Main Road, and there's the A20. This is the basic outline. And then we're going to take a slower walk through some of the most important landmarks through the book. 
And then I'm going to try and package it up at the end in a way that makes it easy for us all to remember so the message of Habakkuk can get into our systems. So the basic outline, here we go. <clears throat> the prophecy, chapter 1, verse 1, page 1029. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. Now we know hardly anything about Habakkuk. Um, his name, though, is significant for reasons that we'll discover in just a moment. It is from the Hebrew word, the Hebrew verb, meaning to embrace. So Habakkuk it means something like the, the embracer, the embracing one. Okay? Uh, from what the Lord says to him, it's clear that he lived in the days before God sent the king of Babylon to overrun Jerusalem in judgment. Now, Habakkuk has a complaint to make to the Lord. In fact, he's got two complaints, as you'll see, just as you look, if you look at the headings in the church Bibles, two complaints in chapter 1. The first complaint <coughs> is about the state of God's people, the nation of Judah. The Lord answers the complaint, and he says, I will address the shameful state of my people by bringing upon them the armies of Babylon. Well, Habakkuk does not like that answer one little bit. And that prompts his second complaint, which is basically, Lord, how can you use a nation as evil as Babylon to accomplish your purpose? Well, chapter 2 then gives the Lord's response to that. In essence, that Babylon will fall under judgment as well. But in the meantime, God's people are just going to have to trust him. That's the message of the key verse in the book, which is chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous person will live by faith or by his faithfulness. How do you live in these difficult days ahead? You cling on by faith, says the Lord to Habakkuk. And then chapter 3 records the prayer that Habakkuk prays in response to the message. He recalls how the Lord rescued uh, his people in the past, mighty salvation. And on that basis, he calls to God to do the same again. <clears throat> And he ends, resolved, <coughs> excuse me, to trust and rejoice no matter what happens. So remember what the name Habakkuk means. It means to embrace. And the book moves from one kind of embrace to another. In chapter 1, he embraces God as a wrestler, grappling with God in his turmoil and confusion. I don't know if you watched any of the Olympic boxing um, or at some of the fights, but sometimes they get so close to each other, they're like, like this, and you're, oh, are they best friends? Of course they're not, they're wrestling with one another. And uh, Habakkuk is wrestling with the Lord. But then, chapter 3, he is, uh, uh, chapter 2 reorients him, and then summ summons him to believe God's promise, and then chapter 3, he's ready to embrace God, but this time as a trusting, loving child. Both of these, by the way, as we'll see, are acts of faith, both the wrestling and the, uh, the, the, the accepting. They're both aspects of his faith. So that's the basic outline. Right, okay, back to the beginning. Let's walk through it again, a bit more slowly, and observe some of the landmarks. <clears throat> so Habakkuk's first complaint, what set him off? Why did he start complaining to the Lord? Well, he's dismayed at the state of the church, the church of his day. That is, the, the, the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. So, chapter 1, verse 3, for example. Why, O Lord, do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife. Conflict abounds. So, God's people were supposed to live um, by God's law. 
but the leadership was corrupt and that has allowed injustice to hold sway. Look at chapter 1 verse 4 for example. Therefore the law is paralyzed, justice never prevails and the Lord doesn't seem to care or do anything about it. That's how he feels. So Habakkuk complains to the Lord. Now what did he expect or hope that the Lord might say? Maybe he hoped the Lord would say, don't worry Habakkuk, I'm going to come to the rescue and I'm going to raise up a, a leader who can, who can galvanize the faithful. There'll be a re- reformation. There's going to be a, a revival. I bet that's what he hoped. That's not the answer though. What is the answer? Destruction's coming. Chapter 1, verse 6, here's the answer. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. And they are going to seize Jerusalem as well. And the the description is terrifying of Babylon. Babylonian blitzkrieg is on, is on its way. The poetry is, 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 is brilliant. Horses, swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk, swooping like eagles to devour, mocking kings, flattening every defence raised against them, fueled on arrogance, they're drunk on their own power. This is the wretched Taliban sweeping Afghanistan. These are the panzers, tanks, sweeping across Poland. Terrifying image. And to Habakkuk, naturally, it's utterly horrifying. And he can't see how God can do this. Look at chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And yet, he says, Lord, you're going to use Babylon to discipline your people? Just Babylon is the very epitome of evil. They're violent, they're arrogant, they indiscriminately kill people like like fish gathered up in a net. Now, I want to give some sense of how this would have felt. I'm not, a, I'm, not make, I'm not making a prediction here. I'm not a prophet. I'm not making a prediction. But I just want us to feel and relate to Habakkuk's dismay. Now, you may well find yourself, as I do, often thoroughly depressed about the church in Europe. And um, particularly the mainline historic churches, you know, the, 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 church, the, the Catholic churches, the Church of England, the, church, the Lutheran Church in Germany, the Church of Scotland, all this kind of, the sort of the established mainline churches. So often, biblical faith has been compromised. Power and privilege that we once had was horribly abused in many ways. Now, suppose we cried out, and it would be quite understandable if we did, Lord, won't you act? And the Lord said to us, I will, and I'm going to do it by subjecting you to Islamic Sharia law. I'm going to do it by subjecting you to the rule of the Chinese Communist Party. Would that sit easily with you? No wonder Habakkuk complained the second time. Hey, by the way, you might wonder whether it's okay to question God, because some Bible characters do question him and it's, it's very much frowned upon. It's not, not right. What's the difference between a kind of faithful wrestling with God and a faithless just grumbling before him and complaining? I think the, the issue is it depends what motivates our complaining or our questioning. What really, really, um, well, angers the living God is when we come before him 
um, assuming that he's mean, assuming that he lacks power, and we come and we, we grumble and complain. But when we come to him saying, Lord, I know that you are good. I know that you are powerful. I just cannot, for the life of me, in this situation, see how. But I believe you are, and I'm holding on, but I can't see how. How is it? That's faithful wrestling. It's a very different thing. It comes from a very different motive, a different place. That's faithful wrestling. And we can see Habakkuk is a faithful wrestler. We can see that because just look at chapter 2, verse 1. This is the last words of his... Um, of his complaint, his second complaint. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look and see what he will say to me and what answer he will give to this complaint. What a great verse that is about the posture of faith. The way faith stands on the highest point uh, of the city wall, paying attention, looking out for the light to come, and the light will come. And chapter 2 tells us that. It gives the Lord's answer to Habakkuk's complaint. Habakkuk is supposed to record this so that it can be published, well, both in his own day, but also for future generations. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. It's not going to come immediately. Chapter 2, verse 3, the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. You see, we want our answers now, but the vision shows us that we have to learn to wait for the outcome of the promise. What is the outcome? It's judgment. Five times through chapter two, the word woe introduces the judgment that will be visited on Babylon. Five times. It rings like a bell of execution. Just get ready to move your eyes. You'll just see it. Just glance at it. Chapter 2, verse 6. Verse 6, woe to you. Verse 9 again, woe. Verse 12, woe. Verse 15, woe. Verse 19 again, woe. I'm not going to go through all the detailed um, uh, the, the points that, that, um, that Babylon will be, will be thrown down for, but... Uh, Basically, I could, we can sum it up, arrogance, violence, cruelty, thieving, drunken, idolatry. Babylon. He says, in the end, she will fall. And so will all the nations that behave like her. For now, God's people will have to live amongst these powers. I think of the experience of the church in North Korea, or in China, or in... Nepal. Did you know how difficult it is to follow Jesus Christ in Nepal at the moment? Look it up later if you're interested. Awful. Or the northern Nigeria, where it, believers are under what is being increasingly referred to as a genocide. Thousands have been butchered this year alone. But the future does not belong to any proud nation doesn't belong to Babylon, doesn't belong to any multi-billion dollar company, doesn't belong to any army, or economy, or ideology, it belongs to the Lord, and that's chapter 2, verse 14, wonderful verse, Isaiah has this verse as well, which makes us think maybe Isaiah and Habakkuk certainly knew each other, or were prophesying around the same time, chapter 2, verse 14, 
For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, Habakkuk, there is a time coming when there will be no room for any sort of evil. All sin, national sin, personal sin, my sin, your sin, their sin, sin, it will be avenged. It will be gone. And that's why chapter 2 ends with words which frankly should sober up everybody who reads them. Chapter 2, verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. All the earth. Everyone must be silent before the judge because we've got nothing to say. As Habakkuk knew very well, his own pe- God's own people were implicated in evil. Babylon is implicated in evil. I'm implicated in evil. You're implicated in evil. Everybody is. You, we try and disentangle ourselves. This is one of the most depressing things about our culture today, I think, is groups all over the place who, who pick an issue and they make themselves the righteous one and declare everybody else in the world the problem. You know, you're the problem. You're, people like you are the problem. People like you... And so, no, 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 it's much more complicated than that. We're all the problem. We're all implicated. All of us. Let all the earth be silent before him. And that's why the world is so complicated. It's why history is so utterly baffling. Unless, like Habakkuk, God draws back the curtain a bit. I mean, I don't know how much, whether you, whether you enjoyed it. History was my favourite subject at school. I love studying history, but it's baffling. You look at it and you think, why, does, um, why did that nation fall when it did? And, you know, someone comes up with some grand theory and you're like, yeah, well, that sort of works, but it doesn't really. Why is it that that evil empire lasted much longer than that one? Why did, com- why did, why did, communism la- why did Soviet communism last for sort of 70 years, but Nazi, Nazism... National Socialism only lasted for about you know, 12. Why? I don't know. They were both iniquitously bad. Why, why Lord? Why is it that... What about the British Empire? What, what did we do? Was it good? Was it bad? Was it... Oh, it's so confusing. Was, was it a reward for the righteousness? Or was it... What, what, did we bring damnation on the... What, what does it mean? Do you ever think that when you look at history, when you watch the news? Why? It's utterly baffling. Now, the Bible does teach some principles, like pride comes before a fall. And Babylon certainly demonstrates that, because do you remember how Babylon collapsed? It happened in a single night at that that feast that Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, had, when the writing appeared on the hand on the wall, declaring his destruction. And on that single night, it collapsed and fell at the hands of the Medes and the Persians, because they were there pridefully drinking their wine out of the goblets from the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, in their arrogance. Pride comes before a fall. There are other principles that we find to understand history in the scriptures. But even if you know all those principles, there are still more mysteries than answers. Grey, grey, grey. The whole lot. And not just grey, actually... I like the phrase um, that comes from an old hymn. We live, in a, uh, we live in flaming worlds. Worlds on fire everywhere. Is there a safe way through these flaming worlds? Through this world? We are at the mercy of history's traumas. Um, we are beset, of course, with the normal round of sickness and death that comes to us all. We're implicated in the world's evil. 
uh, and we, we must be silent before the judge. Is there any hope? Is there any way to live in the midst of all of this? Yes, there is a way. There's only one way. There is, a, there is a way to live, to live, really to live, to live before God, forgiven, joyful, peaceful. Chapter 2, verse 4 is the key verse of the book. Chapter 2, verse 4, but the righteous person will live by their faithfulness, or the righteous will live by faith. Faith in, faithfulness to the good news that God has given us. So when the Babylonians arrived, the question is for Habakkuk, Habakkuk, will you trust me, says the Lord? Will you hold on to the promise? You see, when the towns of Judah are burned, when Jerusalem and its temple are smoking ruins behind the row of exiles bound in shackles and taken across from their homeland into distant exile, it will not feel like the earth will one day be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. It'll feel anything but. It doesn't, won't look like it, it won't feel like it, but whether Habakkuk survives or not, he will live. He will live forever if he stays faithful. Will he, will I, will we live by faith? Because actually we have all of this made more certain because we've seen God take the decisive step towards the new creation. He's raised Jesus' son from the dead who died for our sins to deal with the old. He's given us a full, full reason to trust and to believe. There is only one safe way through a world under judgment. There's only one way to life in the valley of the shadow of death, which this world is. And that is to trust him. To trust these great promises, this good news, this gospel. You know, circumstances will come along that will make you wonder, and me, whether God cares about us at all. Is Jesus really Lord? Never trust based on your circumstance. Never even trust yourself. Don't look to money or some form of other form of protection. No, stake everything on the promise. Look, I've got this. Um, Katie got it for me for Christmas. It's a it's beautiful calligraphy. You can have a look at it afterwards. And it's that you won't be able to read it from where you're seated unless you've got X-ray vision. Not X, you know, um, uh, 2020 vision. It's, it's from the, the, it's the first question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. I won't go into the history of the Heidelberg Catechism. It was written about 500 years ago. And uh, it was, a catechism is like a way of teaching the Christian faith. So you're, it, it, it's done in a question and answer form. So, uh, so the idea is you learn the, the question and then you learn the answer. And this is the first question in this catechism called the Heidelberg Catechism. Let me read you the first question. It's really, it's, it's a good, good first question. Gets down, cuts, cuts out all the rubbish and gets to the issue. What is your only comfort in life and death? It's a good question, isn't it? What's your only comfort in life and death? Your only one. Now, I could say, well, my bed, I love it. My family, love them. The roof over my head, the money in my bank account, no, those answers won't do, because all of them can be taken away. What is your only comfort in life and death? Not even our health. 
The answer, here's the answer. What do you think the answer is? Let me read it to you. It's very moving, actually. What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What's your only hope in life and death? Make it that. That is what Habakkuk, what the Lord is saying to Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. Hold on to him. Find your all in him. So Habakkuk has now got his balance. Chapter 3 then is his great prayer. Chapter 3 verse 2. Oh, this is a good one. This is a great verse. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day, in our time, and make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. What deeds did God perform? What's he remembering? Well, Habakkuk has in mind the deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt um, back in the Exodus. Remember, the Lord brought them through the sea, parted the waters, um, and led them to the fire and cloud at Mount Sinai. And then he drowned Pharaoh and his arrogant army in the sea. Read the poem later from chapter 3. It's blistering poetry. And you might get a sense of what Habakkuk describes in chapter 3, verse 16. Look, this is how he felt after all of this. He said, my heart pounded as I tremble at such an awe-inspiring and good God. Now, what is the Lord going to do in answer to Habakkuk's prayer? When's he going to do it? Will Habakkuk be okay? You know, he doesn't know. He doesn't know the answer to any of those questions. But it doesn't matter to him anymore what the answer to those questions may be. He is going to live by faith whatever. And that is where those beautiful verses come in that are perhaps Habakkuk's most famous verses. Chapter 17 and 18 of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, basically that means total catastrophe if you live in a farming, um, that they're farming community. In other words, if the the sky falls in around me, he says, yet will I rejoice in the Lord, I'll be joyful in God my Saviour. Okay, that's enough for our walk through. We've seen the main sights and uh, we've had our uh, sort of overview. We've seen the main sights. I'm coming to the end. But what I want to do now is just sort of pack this up, wrap it up in a form that we might remember. Uh, Can you learn to pray like Habakkuk? Learn this sequence that he moves through um, when you face perplexity yourself and when I do. Well, look, here are four aspects of his faith as they develop. Four words that I think we can remember. Here they are. Wrestling, waiting, remembering, rejoicing. Got it? Wrestling, waiting, remembering, 
rejoicing, wrestling. That's chapter one, isn't it? He's wrestling with the Lord in his confusion. He goes running to God in his confusion rather than running away. Wrestling, wrestling with God for understanding, for the way forward. Wrestling, waiting. That's his posture in chapter two as he sets his attention to hear God's voice and to see the vision fulfilled. Wrestling, waiting, remembering. That's what he does in the bulk of chapter 3 in his prayer. He remembers the exodus and what God did and as a result hopes to regain, to, the, the praise that God will do the same again. And of course we look back not just on the exodus but on the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and we find a hope that cannot be extinguished. So wrestling, waiting, remembering. What was the last one? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. So, rejoicing as we realize that even if everything else is taken away, we possess everything in God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Wrestling, waiting, remembering, rejoicing. Wrestling, waiting, remembering, rejoicing. This is often the way of prayer. This is the way of prayer Habakkuk teaches. Wrestling, waiting, remembering, rejoicing. Phases in the book of Habakkuk, phases in his prayer, a sequence that perhaps we could copy and take to heart ourselves. Wrestling, waiting, remembering, rejoicing. Characteristics, that is, of the righteous who, in a world under judgment, live by faith. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to hold fast to the promise of the gospel, that we would not be shifted from it in any way, and that come what may, we would find our joy, our only comfort in life and death, in your good news. Through Christ, and in the power of the Spirit, and to the glory of the Father,